It's finally Friday, folks. Fantastic. It's Friday. Fantabulous. We like to make up words here at The Crude Life because we don't like to get caught up in the little things that we can't control in life. That's just wasted energy. And this weekend, one thing that we're going to do here at The Crude Life is we're going to focus on other people's talents. What I mean by that is sometimes we get caught up in ourselves so much trying to survive in today's world that we forget that other people have got great great talents that can not only complement your life, but also inspire. So this weekend, I'm asking each and every one of you to look in the mirror and say, self, it's time to stop coasting on these good looks, charm, and talent, and start realizing some other people have that too. Who knows? I might just learn a few things this weekend. All right, folks, I'm going to get this party started because it's finally Friday. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Right, welcome, folks. It's Friday here on the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spees, and I am flying solo today across USA. Here, the North Dakota Nomad is in. Well, I don't even know where I am. I'm on some gravel road outside of Valentine, Nebraska, near the Fort Niobrara National Wildlife Refuge and the Niobrara River. Slept in the car last night, as there's not a lot of hotel. Accommodations driving through the middle of South Dakota and Nebraska. And so, what the heck, folks? It's the crude life. So, back to my old roots of living in the Bakken out there, sleeping in vehicles during the boom and bust times of the Bakken. Boy, I tell you, nothing like making a six figure decision with a seat belt wedged in your back at 2 a.m., folks. That is living the crude life. Welcome to the crude life, folks. I am Jason Spees. Sterling is off today. He did not make it on the trip. He is at the lakes with his Saudi Aramco brat buddies. A couple more flew into town this weekend, so he's having them out at the lake, and they're having a good old time. Us, however, little old shale play USA. First of all, we're going to be on the radio in Midland, Texas, on 5.50 a.m. here very shortly. They have a couple FM uh, dials as well, but we're going to join the Morning Drive team to give a preview of the Shale Energy Conference coming up, the Shale Energy Resources Conference and Trade Show. It's really more of an extravaganza of an events happening. They've got a concert going on. They've got a fundraiser. They've got crawfish. They've got speakers. They've got the Texas Railroad Commissioner, the Million Mayor March, all kinds of stuff happening down there at the Shale Energy Resource. That's where we're heading. But first, we're going to make a stop in Oklahoma City, have a little cross-promotional podcast with Fossil Fuel Fridays, the Talking Energy Show, Matt Hill. Ken Lavin, we're going to sit and talk some issues. Chew the fat. Is that what we say in oil and gas? That's what we used to say in energy and agriculture. When I, when I covered agriculture, that's what it was. Chew the fat. wonder what they say. Fix and fence posts was another one. You'd talk to your neighbor, fix and fence posts. Anyway, folks, I digress as I'm sitting kind of here in the middle of nowhere by myself with Frackleberry Hound thinking about yesterday's EPA listening session 
with Michael Regan. Administrator Michael Regan. Fantastic uh, event, by the way. Uh, he is a very sharp young man. And by young, he's only a couple years younger than me. But he looks like he's about 30. Bright future. I understand why uh, Senator Kramer has endorsed Michael Regan and believes that he is going to be a solution to many of the problems as opposed to a problem, to adding more problems. Uh, for example, for example, I wrote down in my notes two things, two things out of yesterday's EP. I wrote down a lot more, but I kind of starred, you know, how you, you kind of highlight. Number one, the number one thing that I took away is that the EPA administrator, Michael Regan himself, said there are parts of the waters of the United States, the WOTUS, which is one of the biggest fly-under-the-radar, make boardrooms ticked off, make CEOs, make decision-makers upset, then WOTUS, the sage-grouse is probably number two, okay? That's an inside joke amongst people that have been fighting the sage-grouse for 40 years, and in some states, they have a sage-grouse hunting season. I mean, this is not even a political thing. This is just pointing out absurdity in the system. But what came in this waters of the United States really became an absurdity of the system because there were some people who literally, literally, and I'll talk to, I've talked to Attorney General Wayne Stengem. I've talked to North Dakota Ag Director Doug Goring. I've talked to a number of people in the agriculture industry as Roger Johnson, former uh, National Farmer Union president. Okay, just a name drop. I'll drop a few more if I didn't hurt my foot so bad every time the names hit the floor. But I just wanted to cite sources. Is that the waters of the United States Act becomes so interpreted by some that a puddle in your backyard is owned by the government. That's Canada, folks. That's, that's Canada. That type of system does exist. It's called Canada, where the, the, the queen owns the land, owns the taxes, owns everything, and then they give back to you what they think you deserve. And I'm not trying to be harsh or cold or snarky. I'm just actually just citing the way it goes. So when EPA Administrator Michael Regan said that he found that there were parts of the waters against the United States Act that were unlawful. I wrote that down because that is a significant conversation now that has not been had for the, even during the Trump administration, that conversation was hard to get going. It was hard to get going. That's how thick that bureaucracy was that came out of the Obama administration, okay? So anyway, I wrote that down. And the other thing came out of Don Dabbert, Home builder I know from Shanley High School, Don Dabber. He's in charge of the Home Builders Association. Okay. Sterling works in the real estate industry, and so we know a lot about the, uh, the construction industry and the home builders. Because quite honestly, it's about as prevalent as the energy industry, everyday energy for everyday people. Most people have a shelter. Most people have energy. What Don Dabbert said, and I wrote this down too, down too in the cost of a new home. All right, you might want to write this down too, at least in your handheld computer that you call a cell phone. All right, Don Dabbert, Home Builders Association out of Fargo, North Dakota, at the EPA listening session yesterday with Michael Regan. He said that 
of your cost of your house is regulation. That is incredible. That, I mean, that does not include taxes. That does not include other things. That's just the regulation that goes into building a house. I wonder what those numbers are in oil and gas. How much of a barrel of oil is regulation? Incredible stuff that came out of this listening session yesterday. Geeks like me that have been award-winning journalists love this stuff. So anyway, folks, that's, that's yesterday. We're going to air the whole listening session in just a moment, actually. So uh, during the listening session at Bismarck State College with the EPA Administrator Michael Regan, uh, Senator Kramer was there, U.S. Senator Hoven, Representative Kelly Armstrong, Lieutenant Governor Brent Sanford, Lieutenant, uh, I'm sorry, Agriculture Commissioner Doug Goring, Attorney General Wayne Stengem, as well as Governor Burgum, and uh, Paul Glatt as well with the uh, Environmental Division here in the state. There were some people with agriculture and home builders and a number of industries were represented. So what we're going to do is we're just going to air the whole listening session because we were there with our live and local recording session uh, in uh, just a moment or two. We're going to air the whole thing in the work hard section of the show. But first, I'm going to hand it off to uh, Cole, by the way. Uh, we're going we're to talk about Cole a little bit because that was representing. That was represented. So uh, we have the director of the Lignite Energy Council. He's going to join us. Former wrestler, wrestled with my brother. My brother Keenan is a wrestling coach now. He was a former All-American wrestler, Greco-Roman wrestling. And anyway, so there's some ties there with uh, Jason, the director of the Lignite Energy Council. So we're going to hand that off in just a moment or two. Then we're going to go to Wayne Stengem. And we're doing this a little different because I got these reactions after the listening session. And I'm going to air them before as kind of a preview of what they talked about. Because the listening session is like an hour long. And I'd rather not have you listen to those. uh, They're only like two, three, four minutes apiece, the interviews. So uh, we're going to air a couple quick interviews that are reactions to the listening session, and then we're going to air the listening session for those that want to listen to the listening session about what direction the EPA is going with the regulation and what direction the Bakken is going as well. Really some cool stuff when it comes to some of the technology integrating ag and energy together. That's really where the next opportunities are coming, folks. Down in uh, South Texas, they've been able to demonstrate some test fields, models, and formulas that work, and now they're trying to perfect them in the Bakken. So in the same way, Colorado and New York and California are doing the, the, the let's ban fossil fuels. Hey, there's stuff going on the other side, creating formulas to work in the other states to combat that regulation side. So that's what today's show is really dedicated to, is educating and making you aware that this stuff is happening. And if you know how to take notes, you'll figure out how to make it through this next couple of years, which are going to be bumpy. They're going to be bumpy, and we're going to talk about that next week because the reality is the layoffs are starting at the corporate levels now, which means those are going to trickle down to small business over the next several months. Didn't want to be a downer on that part, but I did want to let you know that the tea leaves are now being read. All right, with that, folks, we're going to go to our first reaction here. All right, who's ready for a reactive interview? And then we're going to air the interview uh, listening session afterwards. And this is Jason Spies. Live and local here in outside of Valentine, Nebraska, after sleeping in my car somewhere near Fort Niobrara. Of course, 
we have to stay near Niobrera. You got to stay with what you know, right? The Niobrera chalk. That's what I know, folks. All right. Let's uh, continue here with a little bit of a play hard portion. Jason, are you ready? Let's get a little mic level check. Jason Bohr with the Lignite Energy Council. Outstanding. Thank you for joining us here today live and local in Bismarck. Cole represented today with the EPA listening session. I was like, all right, Cole gets represented. So talk about what you said to the uh, EPA administrator, Michael Regan, today. Sure. Uh, main message to him regarding regulations is they need to be clear, achievable, and the objectives need to be recognizable. So we know when we've achieved success and we know what our goals are that we are both working toward from the federal government to protect the environment, from industry to protect the environment, and put a product to market. So that, that was my the main thrust of my message is let's work together to make those objectives achievable and clear and understandable. Quickly, lignite coal versus regular coal. You should probably do a 101 for those people listening out there who may not understand the word clean coal actually does have a meaning in North Dakota, especially other areas too, but North Dakota is really well known for an A-plus air rating as well as having some pretty efficient and innovative coal technology. So talk about the coal industry a little bit from the environmental side. Yeah, so in North Dakota, our coal is lignite coal which is a younger geologic coal than what you'd find in the east or other parts of the country. It is easier to do things like turn it into natural gas or fertilizer or viable byproducts. And so in the combustion process, uh, we're taking technologies that have been developed and capturing the CO2 from that combustion process and hopefully sequestering it deep underground. That is the next goal of clean coal technology in North Dakota. But we have been cleaning coal for decades in North Dakota and putting out a product that, as we mentioned today, all of our air quality standards are being met. We have some of the best air in the country, some of the cleanest water in the country. And what we were doing in North Dakota has always been about clean coal. Well, a lot of people have noticed that coal and even oil and gas, they really are cross crossing over in a lot of areas, you know, from outside of just the petroleum and fossil fuel world. You mentioned the carbon sequestering and some of the technologies that are coming into there. Just talk about that relationship a little bit between oil and gas and also with coal, because it has seemed like you guys have really been working together. Yeah, right now, I think we see a shared future, a shared future where we are both um, acting on a growing concern about carbon dioxide. How can you take that carbon dioxide and capture it and actually do something beneficial with it. That's where our relationship with the oil and gas industry has really grown, which is we think we can give you oil uh, gas producers a way to get more oil and gas out of the ground in a way that has a smaller environmental footprint. That means everybody wins. Consumers get a cheaper product with less environmental footprint. Uh, We get a market for our carbon dioxide and the consumers all get reliable, affordable energy. So it's a great synergy that we've been working on with the oil and gas industry. Well, I appreciate the time, and I'd love to sit down and take more time in the future to know more about coal and some of the uh, innovations. But between sessions, we got to go to the next stop, and I appreciate taking the time. What's the final word? What do you want people to know about when it comes to coal, oil and gas, energy, all the above? What do you got to say? We are dedicated to producing a, a product that is as clean as it can be, as affordably and reliably as it can be. We share the same objectives that I think regulators and the public share, which is we want clean, affordable, reliable energy. Thank you, sir. Thank you. The music.
music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. It's sponsored in part by Orange Property Management. The origins of Orange Property Management date back to the year 2000 when Fargo native Mike Marcel, an entrepreneur who was living in California, was starting to acquire residential properties in the Bay Area as a little side venture. Fast forward to today, Orange Property Management has grown to 36 full-time employees across 13 communities with a portfolio of over 1,300 residential and commercial units ranging from single-family homes to multi-family apartment Elements. For more information, visit their website, orangeproperties.com. That's orangeproperties.com. The Crude Life, Play Hard, Work Hard, is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Here with North Dakota Attorney General Wayne Stengem. We're in the press room, and so we're not even eight feet away from the EPA Administrator Michael Regan, who you kind of uh, you let him know where you stood today. I was very I was very impressed with how you handled yourself. You didn't back down at all. How are you doing, by the way? Well, I'm doing very well, and thank you. I was very glad to see uh, Administrator Regan come to North Dakota. I wanted to impress upon him that we think here in North Dakota we're doing things right. We're happy to be collaborative. We're happy to sit down and work with all of them, and and we also believe that our innovation and our entrepreneurs can be the solution to a lot of the problems. 
problems, we're happy to work on that. But at the same time, I think that it's important that they know that we will defend North Dakota's sovereign interests and our interests in, in uh, promoting the agriculture industry, our energy resources in North Dakota. We think we can do that in an environmentally sensible way because we have done it over the years. And it's not always just let's do it the federal government way. North Dakota has its own Clean Water Act. We have our own Clear, uh, Clean Air Act, and we enforce that. So it's not just do it the EPA's way or do nothing at all. We're happy that he was here. I think that as he says that he's listening uh, attentively, and I think he really was. And I hope that going forward we'll be able to work together. Uh, litigation isn't, as I said, often the, or always the solution because it takes a long time, it can be expensive, and the results are always uncertain. It's better off trying to collaborate and work together. I hope that that message that we heard clearly is one that will resonate for the next three and a half years at least. Pop quiz time, just to let people know how we resonate here in North Dakota. How many lawsuits have you had against the federal government in the last five, six, seven years? Oh, a, a, there's been a lot of them. Some of them are pending, and that and that can, uh, uh, really uh, uh, emphasizes what I was saying about how lengthy and expensive they can be. The injunction that we obtained in 2015 against the uh, implementation of the uh, Waters of the U.S. rule is still pending. That injunction still exists, as does the underlying lawsuit. And so uh, uh, that's why it's important we try, at least on the front end, to see if we can resolve it. If not, then we'll go to court and we'll protect our interests here in North Dakota wherever we have to. I think I did a story one time, and you had 25. Oh, yeah. oh, easily, easily, and, and uh, easily 25. And we're working with my counterparts across the country, too, and we'll continue to do that if the need arises, and we are in some aspects already. Well, I'm just kind of looking at the clock here, and I, we're kind of pressed for time, and I appreciate you uh, coming, taking a little time here. But between coal, between oil and gas, and today I wrote in my notes that uh, Administrator Reagan was open to looking at the waters of the uh, the waterway rights rules which has been a waters of the United States which has been an issue probably as much as a sage grouse <laughs> Uh, the, the waters of the U.S. rule that was, uh, that was uh, proposed in the Obama year was probably the most universally disliked rule that I have ever seen. And, of course, there have been efforts now to try to rewrite that water uh, rule, and, and that's ongoing. They will conclude that process. We will be involved. They promise to come out and have a listening session. I hope that when that happens, it is one where they cru truly come with, uh, with an open mind and a willingness to attentively listen to our concerns because we care about our water too. More than anybody, in fact, we care about our water and our air. And you can see that by just walking outside any, any day here in North Dakota and you'll see it. Well, I wrote down in my notes as that was probably the number one story was that he was he, he called some parts of the WOTUS, waters of the uh, United States, unlawful. Yeah. And I thought, whoa, okay, I'm going to write that down and revisit this a little bit later. But just in final thoughts, what do you want the energy industry, the oil and gas specifically, even the coal? We had the coal on here. It, yeah. Coal was reaping them a new one too, telling them, hey, we got clean coal here. So well, we do have you know we do have clean air. We do have our own regulatory structure here in North. 
Dakota that matters that we have implemented over many years. I think that we will be the solution to some of the environment, many of the environmental issues, as long as we don't obstruct the innovators, the entrepreneurs, and the inventors who really are the ones who are going to come up with the ultimate solution. If 120 years ago we had outlawed the wheel, we would not have the automobile or airplanes today. But instead, we work so that innovators, entrepreneurs, inventors can proceed and uh, do the kinds of things that we are so good at doing here in the United States. Well, we officially closed down the press conference, okay. so we better get going. We've, uh, All right. <laughs> I see Doug Goring's over there, too, so we've officially closed down another place with Doug Goring. Thank you, sir. Music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. The Crude Life, the most trusted voice in energy. On the phone, talking with us today, Chairman Christy Craddock of the Texas Railroad Commission. We are the oil and gas regulator, but we do pipelines and pipeline safety inspections for the state of Texas. We have roughly 470,000 miles of interstate and intrastate pipelines in Texas, and roughly another 500,000 miles of gas utilities. We have a lot of pipe in Texas. We're the largest pipe state by a six. It's an important part of what goes on in the state and safety is is really important obviously to all of us. Absolutely. You know the, the oil and gas industry has always been environmentally focused. I mean uh, the President Biden's administration that this is Obama Biden 2.0 plus and the rate at which we've seen the executive orders flying off the president's desk is taking America back, taking jobs back, and putting us in a detrimental position. But as the attorneys general for a number of states, we are pushing back. Um, from the Department of Transportation, that Permian, the Permian Basin has some of the um, most deadly roads of anywhere in the country. We average a fatality per day. That is absolutely unacceptable, and we need to do better. Uh, we just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. Welcome back to the Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. I am Sean Forbes with TeamForbes.com and OGDirectory.com. Jason Spies is my co-host today. I went out there on my first rig move, and I was like, wow, I'm permitting all these loads, getting trucks going, load go, and I don't even know what half the stuff was. So when I finally got to go on the rig, I was like, wow, I was amazed. I was truly amazed of how this process is. No, I wasn't expecting any olive branch at all. Uh, the Democrat Party has decided that they don't like oil and natural gas. 
and uh, they were clear that they're going to go after us. I, I don't think that's any surprise. My name is Jenica, and today we get to talk with Amy Andrzak of the Interstate Natural Gas Association of Americas. Amy is the president and CEO. How are you doing today? I would say my my interest in this arena started more from an interest in politics and advocacy, more so than an interest specifically in the energy industry. Well, the first the, the first advice that I that I want to give is, ladies, put your clothes on, okay? If you want to be taken seriously, put your clothes on, which that's a whole other podcast topic. It's a funny thing, what I think sometimes is just really ironic. I'll, I used to pull into the office and I would see some of my colleagues driving electric cars and things like that. And I'm like, how do you work for a large oil and gas company and <laughs> pull in an electric car? So, I mean, even us, I mean, even in our, in our circles, we can see that things are changing. Actually, you are on the money. Back in 2014 and 15, when we first started approaching our management team at Lighting. Our reasoning for wanting to engage in ESG is that we had great stories to tell. We all like living the crude life, so. <laughs> Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. Thank you, everyone, for for being here. Thank you for uh, for caring. As you'll notice, um, we're all sitting further apart than we used to, but closer than we were fairly recently. So we're trying to be mindful both of the CDC guidelines as it relates to, to COVID, but also mindful of the fact that there's a lot of interest in this get together, this listening session, that round table, call it whatever you'd like. Um, but it's just, a, it's just a pleasure to have all of you here. Obviously not everybody that we'd like to have here could be here. Um, again, being sensitive to guidelines, but there are also going to be some future opportunities for greater involvement in some of the discussions, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, so for those that don't know, um, I'm Kevin Kramer. I get to be the junior senator from North Dakota, always junior to my colleague and my mentor, John Hoven, and uh, we're just grateful that, that you're all here. We're really grateful. I'm personally um, very thankful that uh, Administrator Michael Regan of the EPA is here. Um, there are a lot of things to like about Michael Regan, and you're going to learn some of them today. But one of the first things that impresses me about him, of course, is he's a former state regulator, and we all know how much we love our former <laughs> state regulators. But it's really important because he understands the importance of the relationship, the partnership, Mr. Attorney General, the partnership between states and the federal government. Right, and um, has an appreciation for what our founders had in mind with the design of a country, a federal government that's created by the states and, and federalism. So we had that discussion before his confirmation, we had this discussion during his confirmation, we've had that discussion since, and I'm grateful for that. The other thing I'm really grateful for is he's a man of his word. He made a promise and he's fulfilling it today. Uh, as I said to him then, if you want real street cred, you'd come in February, but you know, we'll take, we'll, <laughs> we'll take you whenever you can come. So welcome to North Dakota on a 95 degree day, Mr. Administrator. And I, I just want to add another personal uh, context. Um, whatever he and I will end up agreeing on, and whatever we may end up disagreeing on, um, I'm impressed with the person. And, and, and 
I've had the opportunity to see his absolutely beautiful family, and I, I, I will tell you, the media people in the room, if any of you were to put together um, you know, the, the, a perfect picture for a confirmation hearing, you'd find really well-behaved, beautiful children, young children. <laughs> <laughs> and a very supportive spouse and, and, and really nice people. And, and you'd accept, you could just hire the Regan family because um, the administrator is, is giving up a lot to be in Washington, um, like a lot of people do, to, to come from home, a beautiful place like North Carolina, and uh, move his family to serve. Um, it's a high calling, and I'm grateful that you're willing to take it up. So we're really grateful to have the administrator here. There are a lot of topics. Obviously, this is a, a, a good-sized group for those that might be, might be listening in the media. Uh, there are about 30 people around the, the table. Um, there's some elected officials you're going to hear from, and there are some um, industry folks from the energy sector as well as agriculture. We just came from a breakfast uh, where we talked specifically with, uh, with uh, utility leadership and uh, EERC leadership, specifically about carbon capture utilization storage issues as it relates to Project Tundra and other projects and innovation. So we've had a good part, a good deal of that discussion. We'll have some more of that around this table. But uh, we also have folks that want to talk about water issues. Uh, Mr. Administrator, in the waters of the U.S., there, there are several areas where the EPA obviously intersects with industry and, and the state and local communities. Two of the biggest ones are, of course, energy and water, energy and agriculture. Um, so waters of the U.S. is a very important jurisdiction uh, of, of EPAs. It's been a ping-pong ball between administrations. It's been a ping-pong ball between courts and um, as, uh, as is often said, we'd like to find a sustainable solution that's sustainable in the court system as well as makes sense for uh, the, the practitioners on the ground that have to grow food for a hungry world and in a way that, that uh, recognizes that nobody loves their land more than the person that owns it and makes a living off of it. And, uh, and we, we need to have some certainty. And, uh, and appropriate rules governing that. Obviously, the clean power or the clean power plan from the Obama administration, the, the affordable clean energy uh, plan from the the uh, Trump administration, and finding some certainty as it relates to the Clean Air Act as well as Clean Water Act, really, really important. And, and you're at the precipice, I think, Mr. Administration, Mr. Administrator, to find the balance between all of the things that have been swirling around over the years. And so we're hopeful for that. But you're not going to find better experts on the topics than the ones sitting around this table, as you learned about uh, some of the utility leaders earlier. Um, North Dakota is a, is a pioneering place. We, we, we are a state, by the way, we didn't brag about this earlier, but we are a state that meets all the ambient air quality standards as prescribed by the EPA. And we do it be, not because they're, they're, they're standards, but because there are standards. Um, breathing our air is really important to people who live here and, uh, and uh, want, making a living off this land. So we're just, again, you're going to find really smart people, knowledgeable people, um, but also really nice people like yourself. So I, uh, we're, we, again, we welcome you and thank you for being here. I am going to, at this point, ask each of uh, our elected leaders to, to say a few words, and then I'm going to have the administrator give some opening remarks and then I'm going to turn to, to other public leaders um, who, who are going to make some presentations. Among them, of course, our Agriculture Commissioner, Doug Goring. Uh, Doug, I have used your slides. Um, and in fact, I might as well just say, say it right now. We used, used your sl slides in the uh, confirmation hearing for Rakita Fox. 
So Ms. Fox has been nominated by the president to be the assistant administrator for water. So she'll have direct jurisdiction over waters of the U.S. We voted her out of committee, her confirmation. I was happy and honored to vote for her. Um, she awaits floor confirmation where, you know, she certainly will, will pass. Um, but like Administrator Regan, she pledged to hold one of the, the uh, Biden administration wires of the U.S. listening sessions in North Dakota. And that's a pretty big step, you guys, because I, as I recall, I don't think there was a single WOTUS listening session outside of a major city far from probably affected people in the, in the Obama years. I just don't remember there being, at least not official hearings. And so, um, and, 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 and by the way, she didn't have to be coerced into it. She, she you know, I know she talked to the boss, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna have another opportunity specific to WOTUS as well to, to drill down even deeper when she, she, when she gets here. So with that, thank you. I'm gonna turn it over now. First of all, I think I'm gonna, um, we'll wanna hear from uh, Senator Hoven. Senator Hoven and I, um, working with Congressman Armstrong make for a pretty good energy and environmental team. Um, when I chose my committee assignments, uh, I uh, chose them based on the assignments John already had so we could sort of circle the wagons, if you will. He being on agriculture, him being on energy and natural resources, I naturally asked for environment and public works. And um, and we've, we've had a good partnership. Kelly, he gets to kind of have all of them on the Energy and Commerce Committee. It's the largest jurisdiction in Congress. I uh, was able to serve in that committee for four, four years. They have both environmental and energy policy as, as well as some other important things to, to our state. So um, I think you've got, you've got a, a team at least that has a little bit of uh, well positioned, shall we say, in Washington. And then of course, just the leadership of, of Governor Bergam and Lieutenant Governor Sanford in this space has been remarkable. But we also have a, a, an excellent Attorney General who has successfully sued the EPA over some of these, these issues. And, and, a, and a very good uh, Agriculture Commissioner, Doug Goring, whose slides I'm honored to use when he can't be there. So um, I think I'll turn it over to, to Senator Hoven at this time and then come back to the governor for his welcome and opening, uh, opening remarks before going to the administrator and then, and then going to our presenters. Senator Hoven. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, thanks for your great work. Thanks for uh, getting the administrator out here. And of course, administrator, thank you for coming. We really appreciate it. We know, you know, you're, new in the position there's so many things to do so to come out here you know is, is greatly appreciated and uh, of course uh, always great working with Kelly and our, our good governor and his leadership and all the other leaders around the table we got the best Ag Commissioner in the country right here I don't let the North Carolina and I've met your North Carolina Ag Commissioner too but this guy he if if he doesn't know it it ain't worth knowing when it comes to Ag that's for sure but you got uh, uh, our Attorney General great leaders around the table uh, but the real folks that I think it's important you hear from are all the others because our two big industries are agriculture and energy. And we're doing amazing things in technology, including tying those two together. And so you're going to hear uh, from ag and energy leaders here today. This is the real stuff. And as I talked about earlier, uh, we are going to crack the code on carbon capture. We did it, uh, we cracked the code on uh, producing oil from shale in the Bakken. Uh, that was a revolution. It, it affected the country, helped bring this country to energy independence, uh, going from less than 100,000 barrels of oil a day to 1.5 million barrels of oil a day, the lightest, sweetest crude in the world, with the best environmental stewardship. 
So we revolutionized that uh, industry, and now we're going to do it by uh, capturing CO2 off uh, coal-fired electric, as well as off natural gas and off renewable. We're going to do it all. And uh, I call it cracking the code again. And so we just need a little help to do that. Um, and of course, that's, that's our pitch to you today. And it really is, it, you know, it's one thing to say all the above energy, it's another thing to do it. We do it right now here in North Dakota. And now we want to add to it with the carbon capture piece. And so really, you know, there's three, th three things that take it from technologically viable, which it is, to commercially viable. I mentioned those three things to you at breakfast. But um, one is the, uh, the tax credit, the enhanced tax credit, 45Q and 48A. The second is the front end funding, which we're working with uh, Project Tundra and others. We've already gotten funding through the Department of Energy. Uh, we're going to have the Energy Secretary, Jennifer Granholm, out here. Um, she's already committed to come, uh, which we appreciate very much. We've known her for a long time. We work together as governors. So one, the enhanced tax credits. Two, the uh, front end funding help uh, in partnership between federal government, state of North Dakota, and our private sector. And then third is loan guarantees. Those are in place. We've got those, both at DOE and RUS but we need to be able to access them. And that's where the regulatory certainty from you comes in as very important. Um, the other point I'll make is there's talking about doing it and there's doing it. North Dakota can do it. We're one of only two states in the nation that is approved by the EPA to capture CO2 and put it down hole. And we started getting that in place in 2008. And the first time the legislature worked on it was in 2009. That was the first legal tax and regulatory regime that was put in place so that North Dakota could do it. It's been revised since then. And in 2017, your agency, the EPA, gave North Dakota approval, the first state in the country, to sequester CO2 safely. So we have the geology. We have the state and federal regulatory approvals. We're good to go. Other I mean, We've been at it for 13 years. So I suppose in some other places, you know, if, if they want to start, it's going to take them a lot of time to get there. Now, maybe they can accelerate on that timeline. But I say that to you because working with us, we're going to get this done. And once we crack the code, other places will adopt that technology. And not just in this country. Look at how China's always taken our technology. Well, in this case, we probably would like them to do it because they're going to reduce their emissions with the great technology we developed here. And we can, the, and I think you'll hear today, project after project, whether it's coal, whether it's natural gas, or whether it's off renewable biofuels, we're, we're, we're traveling down the path. And we just need your help. We need, we need people that really want to do it, not just talk about it. And that's, that's the key, key point here. And so again, we really appreciate um, you being here. And we look forward to working with you. And, and, and again, Kevin, uh, thanks for all you did to, to make this happen. No, it was, it was, it was easy because we have a good partner. Um, I'm going to, Governor, quickly, I'm just going to have Congressman Armstrong um, say a few words and then ask the governor to officially welcome us and, and, uh, and share his, his thoughts. Thank you, Senator. I hope you appreciate the view, uh, Mr. Administrator. Uh, we, we, we love to do events here because this is North Dakota. 
Uh, you see the Little Missouri River. Uh, no, obvious. No, that's the real Missouri. That's the Missouri. That's I, the mighty Missouri. So I grew up in Medora, so I had the Little Missouri in my backyard <laughs> in the fall. So I'm sorry, the mighty Missouri. Uh, you can see Stubblefield in the back. There's uh, all of those different things. We farm and ranch, uh, and we are proud of it. Uh, there's a reason Farm Bureau, Farmers Union, Stockman's, Lignite Energy, uh, North Dakota Petroleum Council are all around the table. And it's because the industries that uh, they represent, represent every community in our state. And they represent everybody um, who goes to church on Sunday, goes to a restaurant on Thursday night, uh, and who participates, sponsors, participates in a Little League baseball game, and all of that. And guys my age and older grew up in the middle of a farm crisis. We grew up when we were having out-migration. None of that exists anymore. Our economy is growing, our communities are growing, uh, the people in our communities are staying, our kids are graduating and staying in North Dakota, and uh, a lot of it has to do with industries you regulate. And so when we can cooperate to help grow those industries, grow our communities, grow our state, we will be willing partners. And it's why we get so passionate when we think decisions made, whether at, at, at the regulatory level or the congressional level, harm those industries, they harm our communities, they harm our people. That's why we're so passionate. So when we, when we do have to fight, we'll fight well. We'll fight with a smile, but we'll push back, and hopefully we can continue to work together to help us do what we do best, and that's feed and feel the work. And do it in a very environmentally responsible way, in a way that, that um, other states and other countries can't and won't do. Um, so grateful for that. Uh, I want to, Kelly, bringing up this place and this beautiful room that we're in, I want to thank Bismarck State College, particularly President Doug Jensen. Um, this room wasn't available in, until it was. And um, th 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 this room was, was built for moments like this and events like this. And so we're really grateful. And um, just to brag on them a little bit, um, since he's not here, he's traveling, of course, doing important work for the school. Um, this is North Dakota's first polytechnical institution. And I think that's really cool. I don't know if, if everybody has a full appreciation for that move and what that means, but that means developing a workforce relevant to the, to the demands of a workforce with an education institution. And uh, MBAs are great, but CDLs get paid more. You know, so you, you need to find the right balance. <laughs> anyway, with that, Governor, um, I, I want to I give us a, a particular compliment to Doug Burgum today in front of, of all of you because you're never going to read much in the papers, um, in, including the one here especially probably, about the good bipartisan work that goes on every single day in Washington. But Kelly and I um, have each introduced a bill, companion bills, with Democratic colleagues. Um, in, in my case, Senator Ben Ray Lujan, who was a former public utility commissioner from New Mexico and now a United States Senator. So I've known, and he was on Energy and Commerce when I was on Energy and Commerce in the House. We introduced a bill, really, that was invented by Doug Burgum and, and, and North Dakota, and that's an orphan well uh, bill. When, Governor, when you took CARES Act dollars, and rather than and letting another thousand people go on unemployment rolls, um, created meaningful work for them in the oil patch, um, cleaning up orphan wells that, that didn't have a, an owner or an accountability structure. You did something that was great for the economy, that was great for the industry, that was great for the environment, and, and met the spirit of exactly why we passed the CARES Act. That is now in form of a federal bill, <laughs> creating a similar incentive to do this nationwide. So, so once again, um, your leadership 
proved as an example for us to follow, and, and it has a great deal of support, as Kelly can tell you. Uh, bipartisan, bicameral, um, not very sexy, uh, because that's not what they like on Fox News and MSNBC. I'm sorry. Thank you, Governor, and um, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Senator Cramon. And again, on, on behalf of all of us in North Dakota, we want to welcome uh, uh, Administrator here we, and your team here. Uh, as uh, Administrator knows, he, he was the first uh, cabinet agency leader uh, that I had a chance to spend time with in the uh, Biden administration. We had an hour and 15 minute long Zoom call back on March 28th. Uh, and uh, it just as Kevin uh, had said, you know, having someone who uh, <clears throat> came from a state background, uh, when he was a leader in North Carolina, he visited all every single county in North Carolina. Uh, he understands that there wasn't a one-size-fits-all approach that worked even in North Carolina, so I think he understands there's not a one-size-fits-all that works for our nation. So we're grateful to have uh, he and his, his team here. Uh, and Kevin, thanks for the nice uh, compliment. I want to right off the bat share that credit with uh, those on either ends of the table here, the Attorney General and the Ag Commissioner that also serve on the Industrial Commission. Uh, we had unanimous support there supporting uh, that uh, <clears throat> move that we made uh, to make sure that we put a program in place that could help us. Uh, it was good for the environment and good for the people. So thank you uh, for that. And thanks to uh, to Doug and Wayne, Ag Commissioner and Attorney General for, for also uh, supporting that. Uh, <clears throat> I would say that, you know, on behalf of Lieutenant Governor Brent Sanford and myself, you know, the message you're going to hear is pretty consistent, which is in North Dakota, we believe in innovation over regulation. And why do we believe that? Because we believe that's a faster path uh, to solving uh, the problem. And we have, uh, as you know, in North Dakota, uh, as been shared here, we are uh, an energy powerhouse and we're an agricultural powerhouse. We feed and we fuel not just the nation, but actually the world. Uh, and in doing that, uh, <clears throat> as your own team will tell you, we've got among the cleanest air and the cleanest water uh, in the nation while we're doing that. So we think that North Dakota coming here is a smart move because North Dakota is where the solutions are being created. Uh, an energy powerhouse like North Dakota, we're not the problem, we're, we're, we're the path to the future. And one of the challenges that we face uh, is, is not just the, the regulatory issues, which you'll hear from all of these, but this whole environment around ESG, the idea that, that somehow we're going to solve the world's problem by starving capital uh, from the industries that are best positioned and have the most incentive, whether it's taking care of their team members and their communities or whether it's taking care of the environment, the people that have the most incentive to solve these problems are the uh, energy and ag companies that are operating here and trying to starve them of capital is a <clears throat> uh, is, is going to lead to a lot of unintended consequences. So again, with the support of the federal government, uh, in, in helping through the way we are in North Dakota, uh, through our industrial commission regularly investing research dollars uh, to do private-public partnerships to try to innovate on how we can decarbonize uh, the future. That's the path, and so innovation requires capital, and we got to make sure that uh, we're, we're creating an environment where that capital can flourish. Uh, <clears throat> Kelly talked about our communities. Uh, North Dakota, at the last census, the fourth fastest-growing uh, state in the nation, and there's again a reason why because uh, we're creating great opportunities for people. We're solving the world's problems relative to carbon, uh, <clears throat> and we're we've created a great place to live and work. As we've talked about here, we've got the geologic jackpot uh, here, and whether that's our coal resources, our Bakken resources, our our. <clears throat> 
rare earth mineral resources, uh, we have won that. But I also want to thank uh, uh, Kelly and Kevin and John here at the table, our congressional delegation. All these guys started out uh, at the state level. Uh, under John's leadership, uh, we began some of the great work under that we're doing on carbon capture. It, uh, Kevin, when he was a great state regulator, as you were, uh, you know, helped create this framework. Kelly was one of our top state legislators and passed a number of bills uh, that have helped uh, set the framework. And so you can you can win the geologic jackpot just by having the geology, but you need to have the regulatory framework on top of that. And North Dakota has both, and that's why we're flourishing. Uh, and the but what creates uh, you know fear for people in North Dakota? What stops projects? What what uh, <clears throat> scares away capital uh, is the possibility of federal overreach and federal, you know, federal regulation that's uncertainty. So again, we look forward to partnering with you to create that certainty because we have we have shown in the last four years that we have an opportunity to finally, as a country, be able to sell energy uh, and food to our friends and allies versus buy it from our enemies. That is the biggest geopolitical shift in my lifetime. It changes everything in terms of what we get to do as a country from a uh, from our position in the world. Uh, we can't we can't reverse that. Uh, and and if we kill the U.S. energy industry when the U.S. industry produces energy cleaner and more efficiently than any other country in the world, we should be trying to maximize energy production here, not minimize it. Because when we in we in as Senator Hoven said this morning, uh, in, we have an opportunity to sell our technology. If we can decarbonize industries here, we can sell that technology to China and India and places that are that are that are the ones that are producing the most amount of carbon. So big big economic opportunity for us to be an exporter of technology. Again, another reason why we need the capital, why we need regulatory certainty, but. Again, North Dakota is the is the solution, we're, and uh, and we're great to, grateful to have you here, and grateful to have you learn from all of these people because this table around the table is is a group of people that are actually on the ground innovating and creating the solutions, and we're grateful you're here to learn from them. So thank you for being here. Thanks, Governor. And with that, um, Administrator, I'm going to turn it over to you for some opening comments, and then when when he is done, I'm going to call on Attorney General Stengem for for some comments and presentation, and, and then Commissioner Goring for comments and presentation, and then open the floor for a discussion from uh, ag groups, energy groups, um, you know, engineers, water groups, and, uh, and, and the real experts on the ground. With that, Administrator, again, as you can tell, um, <laughs> what, one thing I've learned is some of the nicest people in the world are from North Dakota, but pretty much all states that start with North have nice <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, thank you all for having me. And I, I have to say, I have really high expectations for this conversation. And, and there's a reason why. During my nomination process, I, I was going through all my calls, and Senator Kramer landed on the list. And, and I saw I called Senator Kramer, and we had one of the best conversations. I thought it might have been adversarial, but it was about faith, family, and environmental stewardship. And so we had a really good conversation. We hit it off really well. And I think we've been doing a great job communicating ever since. The second conversation I had with the North Dakotan was Governor Burgum. We were scheduled for a 15-minute discussion. And I think he mentioned we, we went about an hour and 15 minutes. Here was the governor talking about technology, 
innovation and carbon management. So I said to myself, there must be something in the water in North Dakota. <laughs> this morning, we had a great conversation, again, about carbon management and goals. And I, I thank the governor for his, his vision and his innovation. You know, we're not talking about whether we need to do something. North Dakota has a 2030 goal. The president has a 2035 and a 2050 goal. We're now talking about how do we get there. And it's been mentioned that as a state regulator, yes, I spent a lot of time traveling the state. I would have hit all 100 counties in North Carolina, but for COVID, so I did 90 counties. Um, but in that 90 county listening tour, I got a chance to spend a lot of time with a lot of individuals who helped the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality understand the appropriate role for regulations. And so I do want to borrow from, from Governor Burgum's slogan. He, he says innovation over regulation. And I'm going to tweak it just a little bit as I travel the country because I think it's, for me, it's about a lot of innovation with the right amount of regulations and regulatory certainty. So I think we're close. I think we're close. Um, but, you know, this is just the beginning. Uh, I, I do, I, ha I did pledge to the senator that I would visit. And I do want to visit all across the country because I believe that you can't do this job behind the desk in Washington, D.C. And I think that if we're going to have the right relationship with our states, we have to sit, we have to listen, and we have to learn. So I'm excited about this conversation. But as the senator mentioned, uh, my entire team is committed to listening. Uh, we are going to do listening tours uh, for whether it's waters of the U.S. or as we've announced, we want to take uh, comments and listen on methane and methane strategies. The one thing that I've heard this morning that I really embrace is we are all striving for carbon management because we recognize the existential threat of climate, whether it be on public health or our infrastructure or our economy. So we know we have to do something with that. And, and I think we all embrace that technology has a really strong role. So really excited to, to listen to all of you. I'm grateful for the invitation and, and the hospitality. And I look forward to a longer conversation and a longer partnership throughout my tenure as administrator. So thank you. Thanks, Administrator. Now, um, our Attorney General, who has proven to be very good at um, trying to peacefully uh, come up with good solutions and then, when necessary, suing, and, and, and does, it, does it effectively, Wayne Stenchel. So thank, thank you, you, Senator Kramer. Also, Senator Holvin. Uh, Congressman Armstrong, Governor Burgum, Lieutenant Governor Sanford, thank you for being here but, and for the invitation. But most of all, Mr. Regan, thank you for coming to North Dakota. As a longtime state regulator, I'm sure that you appreciate, as has been mentioned more than anybody, the central role that the states play in protecting public health, the environment, and our natural resources. So I hope that you will look at this as more than just a junket to the beautiful state of North Dakota. but to fulfill two important uh, aspects. And first of those is to meet the players and the people who are stakeholders in all of the things we're talking about. But second of all, to take a look at what it is that we're doing here in North Dakota. As you look out the view here, this environment matters more to us than it does to anybody else, anywhere else in the country. We're the ones who live here. We farm and ranch here. We're engaged in industry here. We raise our families, send them to school. These things matter, and you can look out there and realize this is no accident that all of these things have happened. We are blessed with tremendous natural resources that are of major importance to North Dakota, and we are proud of our strong record of responsibly protecting 
and developing our natural resources for the benefit of our citizens, but also the citizens of the United States of America, as well as all of those who visit our beautiful state. We agree with the administration's emphasis on using resources wisely and efficiently and making policy decisions transparently and based on science and facts and the law. North Dakota has successfully implemented effective state environmental and natural resource programs, many in tandem with our federal partners. We have no interest in relaxing those standards or endangering our citizens or our environment. In fact, I hope you leave here from North Dakota with the understanding that we, more than anyone else, can play the critical role in the solution, solutions to some of the more perplexing environmental issues it is very important to our state to maintain the cooperative federalism uh, framework that respects North Dakota's sovereignty over state resources and gives North Dakota a major role in the development and implementation of environmental protections. My office is available to work and confer with you at any time. Time is short here today, I realize, so I just want to offer, if I can, a high-level view of some of the major issues that are of concern to us in North Dakota and me and my office. Chief among them is the WOTUS rule. This turns out, I think, to be the one rule that, re that uh, achieved something nobody else could, and that's almost universal opprobrium from those people who are subject to that regulation. It's very important to all of our citizens, especially our farmers and ranchers, who have suffered from the endless and unnecessary confusion, the litigation, and the uncertainty over that rule. Now, my friend, uh, the Ag Commissioner, Doug Goring, is going to discuss this at uh, greater length, but I want to assure you that North Dakota is looking forward to constructively engaging with the EPA to, to develop a WOTUS rule that is practical and that recognizes the importance and value of state jurisdiction over state waters. The WOTUS rule should recognize that federal jurisdiction extends only to navigable waters, that respects state sovereignty and our regulatory programs, and recognizes that federal jurisdiction is not a prerequisite to protecting water quality. I am frustrated, and I trust that you were too, when you were working in North Carolina by the implication by some that only the EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers can protect the quality of our water. That is legally and factually wrong, and it is the reason that North Dakota was first in achieving an injunction against the enforcement of what we contend was an unconstitutional and illegal enactment. That injunction, six, year, six years later, remains. That lawsuit is pending. Um, the Clean Water Act permitting rulemaking is of concern to us. EPA has announced a plan to revise uh, Clean Water Act 401, permitting the rule to expand veto powers to other states and entities that we think are legal issues that need to be discussed at greater length. The Clean Air Act, the Clean Power Plan, and the new rulemaking on those efforts are certain uh, to be environmental issues of our age, and we recognize the North Dakota's vast energy resources and our geology, as has been mentioned, and our own technology and our commitment to it will all play 
a significant role in the solution to our common issues. I am looking forward to North Dakota having a seat at the table with the EPA as it considers a replacement to the affordable uh, clean energy rule, which replaced the clean power plan, which as you know was a regulation that North Dakota worked with other states uh, to achieve a nationwide injunction against its enforcement by the U.S. Supreme Court. So I urge you to consider the cooperative federalism framework in Section 111D of the Clean Water Act and ensure that the states retain their authority to implement standards for existing sources on, on their, based on our own expertise. The Clean Air Act, likewise, the methane rule, and it was touched upon here as well, is being pressured, I know EPA is being pressured by a number of interested members of Congress to roll back the previous administration's methane regulations, which were simplified and simplified the burden on oil and gas companies to comply with the new source uh, performance standards. And, the, uh, and remove the transmission and storage segment from those requirements. The Dakota Access Pipeline is a huge issue, and I'm sure you're well aware of that uh, concern and issue as well. North Dakota is working with the Corps in the environmental impact statement process as a cooperating agency under NEPA. North Dakota has numerous resources. We have agencies that will assist the Corps as it, uh, and EPA uh, as it completes the environmental impact statement process. If you have any questions about that, uh, please, I urge you to be in touch so that we can visit about the implications of that. One of the big issues that we had under previous administrations from a legal standpoint was the sue and settle scheme. I hope EPA will not fall back into that pattern of the so-called sue and settle ca uh, cases where EPA enters into friendly, one-sided, and closed-door settlements with certain stakeholders while ignoring other stakeholders, especially the states who are often or too often had been excluded. That is inconsistent with the concept of cooperative federalism and this administration's commitment to technology and transparency and the science. If there are important policy or regulatory issues at play, I hope you will invite all of the stakeholders to the table to develop practical and reasonable solutions and avoid those who would encourage you to cut corners. Later this morning, you're going to go over to Mandan to look at a brownfield station. The administrator, Dave Glott, and I worked 20 years ago to file a lawsuit against the company that was responsible for that environmental disaster. It was controversial. It took time. We ultimately required that they pay $30 million for the cost of cleaning up that environmental disaster. That underlines two important things. North Dakota will do, in that litigation, used our own statutes, our own tools, our own lawyer to require and force the cleanup. We will continue to do that, and we have on many occasions forced those who uh, harm our environment to clean it up. Likewise, in the same token, the state of North Dakota will be equally zealous in defending our own sovereign interests and our right as a state to develop our own resources because we have the tools and the will and the statutes to do it. So thank you for joining us in North Dakota. You're always welcome here. My office looks forward to a constructive and successful partnership with the Environmental Protection Agency. Three issues. 
respect the state sovereignty and our own primacy, especially in the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, other federal uh, legislation. Avoid the sue and settle scheme. And five, recognize that many of the solutions to the challenges can be found right here in North Dakota. And we ask that you thoughtfully, with an open mind, engage with us because, though yes, we have not been reluctant to engage in litigation as we chatted at the very beginning before we started here, litigation is expensive, it takes time, and it's uncertain. The results are always uncertain. And so I urge you to sit down, let's, let's talk and see if we can reach a reasonable accommodation because at the bottom line, we all care about the same things. Thank you. I do want to say thank you. I need to look for my staff. I think they told me the Attorney General was shy. <laughs> Wrong advice. Speaking of your staff, maybe you should, this would be a good time to introduce um, your regional director. Is Region 8 director here? Dave, you know her probably. If, if not. Oh, there you go. Okay, great. Thank you for being here. It's, it's really important. We know the people that we talk to every day, right? It's yeah, great to see right. you, too. But, um, with, thank you, Wayne. Beautifully said, now I know why you won in court. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner Goring, whose slides I love uh, to use, uh, Commissioner Goring did a great job testifying about a year ago, probably, or maybe, maybe a little year more than a half, two years. It seems like last week. But um, on the issue of wires of the U.S. And, uh, and provide just some of the best evidence uh, in the hearing and just Grateful that you're a commissioner and glad that you're here, Doug. Thank you. Thank you, Senator Kramer, for, uh, for hosting us and, and to our congressional delegation for the hard work that uh, you perform and do in Washington on our behalf. And Administrator Regan, welcome and thank you for being here today. Uh, we do share some common friends. Uh, commissioner Troxler uh, from North Carolina. He was actually my mentor. Uh, he served as president of the National Association of State Departments of Ag uh, probably about eight, nine years ago, and then uh, mentored me, and I actually served last year as president of the nation, and uh, I appreciated that honor, and he is a, a great guy, and you've had a, a great contact with him and another friend of mine, Larry Wooten. So uh, we have a lot in common already, and I appreciate that. A uh, few comments, and I know brevity always gets you points, so I have a lot of issues, but I'm going to narrow it down to uh, mentioning a couple things, talking a little bit more about uh, WOTUS itself, but I also want to say a few things about North Dakota, and a lot of people have already said very eloquent and nice things about the state. It is a state I cherish and love. We're so blessed and fortunate not only to be citizens of the U.S., but to live here in North Dakota. Agriculture is our number one industry here. Energy is like neck and neck with it, right behind it. Agriculture, even though we're less than 2% of the entire population in the United States and in North Dakota, in North Dakota alone, we support 25% of the workforce. And it's because of all the ancillary jobs, issues, whether it's products coming to the farm gate, supplies, repairs, services, or whether it's all the product that leaves the farm gate to get processed, to go into something else, manufacturing or out to the public. But with that, 
we produce 54 different commodities here in North Dakota, and that, that astounds people. Because when you look around us, it's corn and beans, corn and beans. Go to the west, you hit a few more pulse crops. But 10 of those, we're number one in the production of in the United States. Hard red spring wheat, Durham, sunflowers, both oil and non-oil sunflowers, canola, flax, dry bean production. Do you know that when it comes down to pinto beans, navy beans, uh, red beans, kidney beans, there's like 13 different varieties, we're actually 38% of the entire nation's production right here in North Dakota. And it's a staple throughout the world. So being 5% of the world's population in the United States, we are part of that food security issue for the United States, but also for the rest of the world. And, and I think that's, that's key. We're just this little unknown state here with, that have been blessed with so many resources. And, it, and it's such a grand state with such a beautiful culture and value system in place that we all want to protect it, preserve it, and share it. But with all that being said, it is one of the main reasons that when the issue in 2015 rule came up on WOTUS, it really bothered us uh, to, to a great degree. This was a group effort. Uh, the Attorney General, my dear friend over there, we worked together along with the Water Commission, the Department of Environmental Quality, Department of Mineral Resources, and collaboratively, we put together the great narrative and a better understanding of, of what probably many are missing. And I appreciate the comment. I, th I think you actually said it. One size does not fit all. That was the approach we were taking on all this, is it can't fit when you have people that are trying to develop something that they believe works across the entire United States. Case in point, North Dakota is very diverse. Uh, let's see if my pointer works here. I uh, probably can't see it from here. We're, today, we're about in the center of uh, the map there, a little off from the Missouri. And to the east, we have some of the most fertile land in the world. I believe it's ranked in the top five in the world in the Red River Valley. Topsoil out here in central and western North Dakota is measured in inches. It's actually in feet there. So that gives you an idea. Organic matter that's 8 and 10 and 12%. Uh, fantastic. We have a lot of diversity in our landscape. We have and have been blessed with many resources that have already been talked about. So with all of that, we were concerned when they start talking about what the design is of that 2015 rule because they talked about dry ravines, creeks, uh, things that quite frankly concern us because it wasn't about clean water. And I think that was part of the confusion. When I testified before the committee in Congress, they kept bringing up water quality. But that's already covered under the Clean Water Act. You, that can't be dismissed. WOTUS is about authority. Who has the authority? The next map you see here are all the perennial and intermittent streams that were being captured in that issue. That's our concern. Western North Dakota does not have potholes unless someone made them. 
but they have a lot of ravines, they have a lot of dry creeks, they have a lot of dry river beds, as some would call them, but the point is it's a watershed. And with that, in my next slide here, got to point it at the right spot, this would show you a prairie pothole region and why part of that rule which talks about having authority adjacent to anything that they now wanted to call traditional navigable waters was so concerning because if you went 4,000 feet beyond, that's three quarters of a mile in each direction. So ultimately, what you end up with, if this thing will work, this would be Western North Dakota, that little snapshot I was showing you earlier and talking about Western North Dakota, that would be the ravines. That would be areas that would be part of the drainage system. Ultimately, in the end, why North Dakota took a position, such a strong position, is this map right here. When we mapped this out, working with all of our, our colleagues and the modeling that was done at the Water Commission, because they have a supercomputer that can do part of this, and our department has a GIS specialist that works very diligently on this, What's in white would be under state authority under the 2015 rule. 86% of the state would have been captured under the authority of WOTUS and the federal government. That was our concern. We're no longer managing and assisting our producers and industry. We've just now handcuffed them. And that's why there was such a, a successful bid to address this issue, get an injunction. And it was such a great effort. And I really appreciate the fact that you want to step up and work with us because we want to develop that relationship so we can avoid this. I will say that the 2018 rule did a very good job of clearing up confusion and creating regulatory certainty because absolutely it dissolves fear and it dissolves and disarms people's ability to try and interpret something different. So if we can create that regulatory certainty, I think we have something. I would sooner not go down this road because I think for the most part, the issues have been addressed now. But I just want to caution that we want to, we want to develop a true working relationship and an understanding of what is being requested, how others are interpreting this. Let's help educate the public because when I sit with members of Congress and they believe this all has to do with water quality, it scares me. It concerns me because they absolutely don't understand federalism, states' rights, sovereignty. They don't understand the regulatory authorities that are in place and all the hard work that's been done. But the last couple of things I would ask you, and thank you for indulging me. We have seen in the past under FIFRA reviews on pesticides and when people don't like the answers they get, they just continue to do reviews after reviews. Pretty soon they start changing the framework of what those reviews should be. And it concerns us deeply in agriculture who supply a safe, abundant, and affordable food supply to the public. We saw atrazine go through three reviews in six years and I was like astounded. I mean, it's just one thing right after another. If you don't get the answer you want, let's avoid politics. 
and what activists are pushing for and the pressure I know you're under and the administration's under to just look at good science, sound policy, put it in place, work with industry to understand the needs and let's address the concerns. But I believe we win in the end because we support the public, we support good policy, and we ultimately serve everybody's best interest, not just activists. I very much appreciate that. And uh, we have been great in this state about putting together compliance assistance programs in our regulatory agencies. And I believe it's something we could share with the federal government how to do it best when working with a regulated industry. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much. It's wonderful having you here. And I hope you come back to see us and enjoy your time here. Thank you, Senator and Administrator Regan. Th th thanks, Commissioner. When, when Radhika Fox becomes uh, Assistant Administrator Fox, and we, when she comes out here, we'll drill down even further um, with, with you, Doug, and, and others to help her understand. Okay, at this point, we have a lot of folks sitting around the table with certain expertise. Obviously, we have our state engineer, we have our director of uh, environmental quality, we, we have uh, people from water users, um, rural water, as well as a number of energy folks. And I think um, to kick it off, I haven't picked anybody, uh, nobody's raising their hand, but I'm going to, I want to ask Jason Bohr, because you met earlier with some of the G&T, uh, G&Ts, and um, we heard a lot about the technology and innovation surrounding um, coal-generated uh, uh, electricity, but we haven't talked to any miners or any coal companies. And I think, Jason, maybe you could open it up to, to you to talk a little bit from the perspective of the, the lignite industry itself. Sure. Uh, thank you, Senator Administrator, for being, being here today. So my name is Jason Borer. I'm the president of the Lignite Energy Council, which is the trade association that represents the mines and power plants and 13,000 workers in the state who provide the electricity and energy for this region. Um, and in, in listening to the introductory remarks, um, I keep coming back to that phrase innovation. And innovation is driven by knowledge and information. And we get that knowledge and information on the regulatory front from folks like you. We need that, um, that knowledge to be given to us in a series of objection, or objectives that are clean, are clear, articulated, and achievable. Because then, once we know those objectives, then it's a matter of the timing and the technology. And on the mining side and the power plant side, we have dedicated resources from the, through our research and development program to um, innovate on coal combustion byproducts, on air emissions, um, on water quality, on soil compaction, on the types of things that we think we could offer in partnership to the federal government. Um, and with that partnership, I think we can help you achieve those objectives that you're looking for. Um, but it comes down to, as the Ag Commissioner said, can we get the science, can we get the objectives given to us in a form that, that are clear and, and achievable? And once, we, once that happens, I think we can make progress together. I'd, I would not argue that uh, industry uh, and regulators cannot coexist. I think we're moving into a world where more and more objectives are shared. Um, it is a matter of making the timing work. I appreciate the work that you did in North Carolina on the coal ash issue. Um, in particular, the approach which is let's get, a, let's get a, a solution that is a consensus, 
that the information that you were able to gather informed that consensus. And what I would, uh, what I would offer to you as a lesson learned from that experience is to take that experience and continue that information gathering process with other coal producing regions. Because one thing that I've learned is that coal production across this country is very different depending on where it's done. That was one of our issues with the stream buffer rule um, that bleeds over in the water's rule, which is when these rules are created for a specific coal mining problem in a specific geographic area, they don't translate very well to other geographic areas. We have coal mining expertise in this country that has been done the, to the utmost degree of environmental sustainability, um, but it looks different than it might look in the East. And all we're looking for is that state-federal partnership on cooperative federalism to say, what are the objectives that the federal government is looking for, that the people in Congress are asking for, and here's the way it works in North Dakota, and we can help you achieve those objectives. So I appreciate you being here. Um, and again, uh, we are willing to work on the issues that I think we all care about increasingly in this country. Um, and just um, even the clean power plant uh, was at its heart more of a matter of timing than a matter of scope or objective. And that was um, one, of the one of the regulations I'd point to and say, wow, that was a poor process. There's no discussion that happened in the states. There's no consultation that happened with DOE or the technology experts. But even at its worst, the timing was the most critical flaw for our industry. The timing was what was going to shut us down, not necessarily objective. Um, so I keep coming to that, that consultation with the state, with the experts, um, and working with us on the objectives. And then let's work with the experts on the timing and the technology deployment. I think we can make it happen both on the mining extraction side and the conversion side of the power plant. So thanks for giving me some time, Sarah. Thank you uh, for being here. This is, it's really great to have you in the state and, and looking at these things firsthand. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. Since I'm looking this way, let's switch over to agriculture. Mark Watney with Farmers Unions with us. And one of the things you'll notice, and this is why I keep bringing up the, the next listening session specifically to WOTUS, um, is the commodity groups are, are not represented, and that's just a matter of space and, and rules and so um, and, and time. But we do have Farmers Union, Farm Bureau, and Stockman to, and of course, our more than capable commissioner to sort of surround the, the ag issues at this high level. But, but Mark, thanks for being here and, and for well, your thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Senator, for bringing uh, Michael out, and thank you, Michael, for coming out here today and, and, and listening. Um, you're going to hear a lot of similar things here, uh, the balance approach, the um, trying to understand that geographical uh, areas are different based upon where you're at and the needs of that area uh, from energy to agriculture. Um, I believe I was fortunate at NDSU to be able to take a class called Agronomy 431 or Entomology. It talked about agroecosystems. And uh, at the time, of course, I was a little bit young to understand the value of that, but uh, slowly learned as I traveled the state now, uh, watching the family farms and the agriculture out here uh, address these issues of their, their agroecosystems. And uh, it was a blend between entomology and agronomy because obviously there's value in both. And, and what I've quickly learned is that the family farmers in this state truly do appreciate uh, providing for the longevity of that farm and the soil and uh, they're very capable of adapting and making changes necessary, not in the 
all sole interest of what maybe an EPA would like, but in the sole interest of the longevity of the farm. Uh, we have a great land grant university here, uh, along with an extension that uh, teaches us the tools, and, and each farm adopts that based on the needs of their farm, and again, in that longevity of agriculture and the farm for the future. So I think the, the comments about clarity in, in, in coming up with the tools so that we can have time uh, to put in place some of the necessary changes, but they potentially could add value to what our soil health, and they can help us uh, prepare for the future. Uh, at North Dakota Farmers Union, we ran a carbon credit program uh, when the Chicago Climate Exchange existed. We had uh, clearly a thousand farmers that signed up for that, had an interest in doing that. Uh, the primary reason that system failed was the lack of clarity. Uh, the protocols of the values of the carbon stored uh, were not clear, and the value of carbon at the time uh, could not be put to a level that was justifiable in the effort, plus it didn't amount to uh, enough for the producer. So we need a compensation tool. Uh, uh, we need some science to back this. We need, uh, when we do something, we actually want it to work. We don't want to do things and they don't have science and they don't actually accomplish anything. Once you figure that out and we get these goals in place and, the, and, and determine the protocols, we can conform and then we can be compensated. Uh, so I think there's just a ton of avenues that would go forward in the sense of having the same goal accomplished based on um, bringing the tools to the farmers, letting them select what they want that is in the interest of their farm and in the interest of the environment. And, and I think that's the key to this whole methodology, and, and I'm, I'm quite sure the energy industry is pretty much saying the same thing. You know, give us the tools and uh, help us get through that, give us time, and, and we can accomplish the goals. And, and finally, uh, don't dismiss the renewable fuels. Um, crude oil needs us, agriculture needs crude oil. Um, there's a lot of stuff that could come together that we could benefit from uh, renewable diesel, uh, we could expand upon ethanol, just a ton of tools there that uh, could make both industries stronger. And at, at times that, again, the science behind that is there, yet the, the public media or whatever you want to put to it tends to downplay it. And, and I think that's so important. So science-based, compensate farmers, and, and help us with the timing and tools, and you'll be surprised at what we can do. Thank you. Mark, thanks for raising the easy issues like renewable fuel standards. <laughs> for, for the, I, I, I mean, never miss an opportunity yeah, to talk that, about it. If, the, if there aren't enough headaches, that one will do it for you. So, Kim, let, yeah, me, let me just add a couple things yeah. on uh, to what Mark said. Uh, one is, you know, back to that, you know, we can do it here. And yeah. I know you hear that from me a lot, but it's true. Um, and so right now, there's a, we're working on a project where the ethanol plants in uh, Minnesota, Iowa, and South Dakota will be bringing their, their, uh, the CO2 off their ethanol plants up here to North Dakota. And so now you've got farmers producing renewable fuel, I mean basically growing uh, corn and soybeans and so forth, producing ethanol and, other, and biodiesel, and all that CO2 will come up here and, and uh, be sequestered. So that's a huge project. So when you look at the whole ag piece in terms of uh, carbon capture, this is an incredible opportunity. And then just one other point, don't do the one-size-fits-all on carbon sequestration for our farmers, okay? We don't just grow corn and beans like Iowa. 
We are one of the most diversified ag states in the country. Am I right on that, Ag Commissioner? Would you agree with that? We're, we're right up there. We are incredibly diverse. One size fits all doesn't work. Some guys can go no-till every year because they just grow corn and beans. Others plant potatoes or sugar beets or something else where you actually have to put that crop in the ground. So it's very important that we have some flexibility as we develop. And we'll work with Bill Sack and USDA on this, but we, you know, we can't get into this federal one size fits all if you really want to get this done. I, I think Thank that, you. yeah, and that, well, that's a nice transition. I want to come over to Kristen Hammond because we haven't heard anything so far this morning specifically from the oil sector, oil and gas sector. But Mark raised an important point about RFS, and, and you, just, you know what a, what a challenge that is for the EPA administrator. Um, but we also need to remember that that law expires next year, and that at that point, your, your headaches don't get easier, they get harder because then the law sort of punts everything to the to the administrator or to the EPA and and the, the RFS itself we need to have a serious conversation about another another time where we dig down deep between all the sectors but Mark makes an important point about the fuel sector being a sector not just renewables and not just oil um, you need each other um, so there's there's a lot to talk about with that I want to go over to Kristen because and, and maybe introduce you with 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 this topic as well there's been some talk of infrastructure um, as I, I said earlier, I, I happen to be the ranking member on the Transportation uh, Infrastructure Subcommittee of EPW. We just passed a highway bill uh, unanimously, $300, $304 billion. And by the way, Governor, our, our, our director, uh, our executive director of uh, transportation here, um, Bill Panos, was like the star witness. And, and I mean, literally halfway through, Ben Cardin, the, the, the Democratic chairman, looks over at me and goes, he is a great witness, <laughs> literally. And he really became the expert to, to all of us. Um, but uh, Secretary Granholm called last Friday and asking me, she said, I want to tap your background as a regulator and, and your role on the committee and what, what exactly is infrastructure? Because as you might have noticed, we're having quite a debate in Washington these days about what is infrastructure. And she asked about energy infrastructure, said, the great thing about energy infrastructure, whether it's oil pipelines, gas pipelines, she brought up CO2 pipelines herself, electric transmission. It's all infrastructure. It's all critical to moving commerce and solving other problems. And most of it is paid for, well, nearly all of it's paid for by the private sector. If you just get out of the way, you know, have reasonable regulations, reasonable enforcement, and a regulatory regime that's conducive to profit, and conducive to building things. And I'll stand in the Rose Garden and give Joe Biden all the credit in the world for however many billions and trillions of dollars the private sector invests in infrastructure um, that doesn't require a tax increase or borrowing more money. So with, with that, Kristen, thank you for being here representing North Dakota Petroleum Council. Sure. Thank you, Administrator Regan and Senator Kramer. Um, I represent the North Dakota Petroleum Council, the trade association representing the oil and gas industry here in North Dakota. Um, as Senator Kramer mentioned, infrastructure, one of our biggest hurdles is getting our product to market. Um, we aren't near the refinery and exporting um, hubs in the country, so we need pipelines. Um, to It's the safest way to transport our product um, as compared to trucks or um, trains. So um, it's, our, it's the optimal way, and um, we've made investments there. Um, and one thing I also wanted to echo um, the Attorney General's comments about state primacy. Um, the industry has had an excellent working relationship with our North Dakota state regulatory agencies. Um, one of the biggest challenges that we've 
really, I think, overcome is um, the reductions in flaring. Um, we've, the in industry's invested more than $20 billion in gas capture infrastructure, and we're up to 94, 95% gas capture here now. So, and that was done without uh, the heavy hand of regulations um, requiring that on us. So something that we're proud of and, and hope that we can anticipate um, continuing that relationship agreement with EPA um, deferring to the state and ensuring state primacy for enforcing um, those regulations. And also I think looking forward a little bit, sort of what Jason was talking about, um, looking at regulations, potentially bringing up methane regulations again, hoping that we have a good cost-benefit analysis, not being punitive on the industry, imposing massive costs um, without a lot of gain um, or or movement towards um, whatever the climate goals may be. So making sure that we are sensitive to putting a burden on our domestic energy industries um, for maybe not a lot of climate gain because we can't control what's being done outside of the U.S. Yeah, great point. There's a lot of transferring of climate guilt uh, that, that just frustrates me beyond reason. I mean, I won't even... Don't get me started on Nord Stream 2. Okay, um, but I did raise it. Let's go back to agriculture, go to the Farm Bureau, Daryl Lease. And, and right after Daryl, Julie, I'm going to come over to you to, to Stockman, so we'll keep it in the egg realm for a while, and then we'll come back maybe to some, some others. Thank you, Senator Kramer and uh, Administrator Regan. Uh, I get the great privilege of representing farmers and ranchers across the state of North Dakota, being president of the North Dakota Farm Bureau. And that puts us in the category of being affiliated with American Farm Bureau, which is the largest egg organization in the world, uh, hands down. Um, you may be familiar with the Ditch the Rule uh, campaign on WOTUS that was initiated by Farm Bureau and the networks across the nation. Every state Farm Bureau, including Puerto Rico, has an organization of Farm Bureau in it, and we were all on board with the Ditch to Rule campaign. WOTUS would have been devastating to farmers and ranchers, our small communities, and our larger communities that border us. It would have stymied growth, would have stymied production, would have reduced jobs in the ancillary businesses, and would have seen a hardship placed on rural America. We were glad to see our uh, Attorney General in North Dakota be the lead on making sure that our state and the others that joined in that had some resolution, had a stay put on that so that we could still continue to do business. We were proud to be a part of, as, as Farm Bureau Network, in the rewrite and the clarity that was brought, I think, that was brought up by Ag Commissioner Goring in 2018. I got to be in the room when that rule was signed. A lot of work went into that rule. A lot of stakeholder input. Farmers, ranchers, home builders, community leaders were involved in that process. There is clarity. Is it perfect for us in agriculture? No. We compromised in there. We didn't get everything that we thought we would like to see but we understood that we needed clarity more than we needed to fight about one or two small details. We think it's a pretty good package. I concur with the commissioner that I don't think we need to open that back up. I think we need to just make sure that the message is out there of what that entails, what the guidelines are, what the rules are. Our farmers and ranchers, our small businesses across this nation will respond 
they already respond. I, I, I do take one exception with Senator Hoven of uh, cracking the code. In agriculture, we own the code for carbon. It's corn. It's wheat. It's the grasslands we have. And, and just for a point of reference, and, and you can look these numbers up, Michigan State University did a study. One acre of corn utilizes between 14 and 18 ton of carbon with a net capture factor of about 0 0.4 to 0.6%. So anywhere from five to eight ton of net capture on an acre of corn. All things green require carbon. That is the natural carbon sequestration is everything that agriculture grows requires carbon as a nutrient and it captures it. Our farming practices are not the 1930s farming practices. They are the modern day farming practices that reduce tillage, which reduces the release of carbon into the air. We increase the efficiency in livestock to require less inputs, less resources to decrease the carbon and methanes put into the air. I think that we have the solution in agriculture. We're implementing those solutions. At Farm Bureau, we're not so much worried about getting compensated for it as we are not having additional regulations that cost us more money to implement, requiring additional compensations. We just want to be able to do what we do because we do own the code for that carbon capture. I'm not going to take up a lot more time in, uh, in respect to the time here today. We, we are the North Dakota NICE, but don't, don't, don't place NICE in the category of, you know, pushover. Because we will stay firm in our message, and we appreciate working with the agencies out there. We've had great working relationships in the past. We're looking forward to hopefully having a great working relationship with you. And you have our invite, uh, and, and with, the, with the new confirmation coming uh, to, to your uh, counterpart there when they come out for the water issues that uh, we'd be happy to put together the plan to host to show what agriculture is doing in North Dakota. Yeah. And I do want to thank you. Thank you for that. And, and I agree with you on the nice statement. I don't believe nice guys finish last. I think we finish on top. And, you know, I, I think we've had a lot of sort of back and forth and sort of consternation around a lot of issues. And one of the reasons I'm here is, is to listen. Uh, to be sure that we have some clarity in our goals and our objectives. And, and I'll tell you, on, on the waters of the U.S., which is why we pledge to have listening sessions and conversations, there are aspects of the current rule that I personally and professionally believe are unlawful, uh, that were really hard to, to implement as state regulator in North Carolina. I, I think we have, to, we have to be really honest about if we all agree that one size doesn't fit all, that, that goes on both sides of the ledger. And there's some aspects of the current rule that don't offer protections to some states that are not as situated or have different geographical considerations than, than North Dakota might have. So th this is exactly why I'm interested in having this robust conversation, because I think when we really sit down and agree that one size doesn't fit all and that these are complex issues, there is a layered discussion about what is the appropriate role of the federal government, state government relationship, and how together we do achieve what I would perceive to be some common goals in terms of the right person overseeing the right issue with the right protections in mind for all, for all communities.
Very good, thank you. And now, um, I was gonna make some comment about Cattle's contribution to <laughs> methane, but I'll, I'll resist and just turn over to Julie Ellingson with the North Coast Stockman's Association. Thank you, Senator, and good morning, Administrator. We appreciate you being here and welcome to North Dakota. My name's Julie Ellingson. I'm a fourth generation cattle rancher. Um, my family and I ranch about 30 minutes from here, and through the good graces and the environmental stewardship of my predecessors, we're able to uh, usher in that fifth generation to our operation. I also represent our state cattlemen's as an executive officer for our North Dakota Stockmen's Association. There's been a lot of discussion today about um, innovation and such, and I wanted to highlight um, a, really a capstone um, achievement, I think, and a partnership that we have with your agency that can really be a model and, and underscores the solutions that North Dakota can offer. Um, nearly 20 years ago, uh, we entered into a partnership um, funded largely through a Section 319 grant through EPA with partnership with the Department of Environmental Quality. We had a producer who was, had concerns, wanted to make sure that his operation was up to snuff and complying with state and federal environmental regulations. I know this might be shocking, but producers aren't always excited about calling your office or even the state environmental agency. And so we developed a program where producers can reach out to us we provide um, technical assistance, um, provide an assessment of their operations to make sure they're in compliance, and help counsel them if they need to take it to the next steps. Through that partnership, we've been able to um, permit many state operations for animal feeding operations, as well as help them navigate um, what can be sometimes the challenges of cost share and finding engineers and contractors, and so um, also finding some cost share dollars um, underwriting up to $210,000 for those major investments. Um, to my knowledge, it's the only program like it in the country. I think it's a model and it really speaks to how we can have a successful public-private partnership um, that accomplishes objectives, not only for environmental objectives, but profitability for our producers here on the land. And I would just close my remarks. Um, I guess I also wanted to mention Thank you for taking this time to listening to our, in, our industry representatives and such. And also the day-to-day -day types of tools that EPA has as a sounding board, whether it's your animal egg discussion group or your farm ranch and rural communities uh, committee, those are important um, pieces to the puzzle and encourage you to continue to use those items. My peers have spoken eloquently about the concerns we had with the 2015 WOTUS rule. Uh, we would share those concerns. We feel we've made a, a, a lot of progress moving forward with the new rule, including things like stock pond exemptions and such, and look forward to continuing to be part of that conversation and making sure that our cattle producers have the certainty they need in, in order to accomplish their objectives and be good stewards of the environment at the same time. Thanks again for being here. I really appreciate it. And I, I do want to say that, you know, um, I, I failed to mention this earlier. I mean, I'm really proud that I received the endorsement of the National Association of Ag Commissioners because of the work I try to do in North Carolina. And when I inherited that agency, um, and it may be still that way, but at least I worked on it, we, we wanted to try to correct what you um, laid out there, which is factual, that many times the, the stakeholder community and the ag stakeholder community uh, don't feel that they can reach out to a regulatory agency. And I, I just think that that's, we, we should not be satisfied with that. I think that there should be lots of groups that can help bridge the gap. But m my goal is to be as transparent as possible, have the resources available so that our regional staff can be 
uh, provide that technical assistance to our states and, and you all not be shy about it. And we, I want to create, help create an environment where we recognize that we're going to have differences, um, but that we can forge some partnerships. And so I'm looking forward to continual engagement on that issue because I think it's an important problem for us to solve, and that is trying to bridge the gap at least on the communication so that we're talking about the same, same challenges. Thanks. Thanks, all. Here's what we're going to do as we're getting close to the, the end of the hour. We, I mentioned we had breakfast with a number of the Generation Transmission Cooperatives, uh, as well as Minnesota Power. We have at least three other utilities here. Timothy Rogelstead from uh, Ottertail, uh, Nicole Gvisto from, from Montana, Dakota, uh, Tony Greenberg from XL Energy. Uh, Nicole, I'm going to come to you to maybe give a perspective from, uh, from the investor-owned standpoint. It, it, is, it is a different challenge, obviously, in the ESG world. Um, and, uh, and maybe if you just share something. And then, Don, I'm going to come right to you then because we haven't talked to a builder uh, about some of these things. And we know it's, it's, it's not just agriculture and energy. It's pretty much everybody that puts anything on the, in the ground or on the ground that's affected by some of these. So uh, with that, Nicole, thank you. Yeah, there's a benefit to going at the end of the meeting. There's been a lot of good things said here, and I will echo everyone's comments in terms of thank, thanks for coming to North Dakota and taking the opportunity to listen. Um, certainly appreciate that. Uh, as, as an investor-owned utility, just maybe a little bit of a background here. We, um, Montana, Dakota is headquartered here in North Dakota, but we do su serve a four-state territory. We have 143,000 electric customers. We serve in eight states on our gas business and uh, have over a million customers. So we're eight-state territory, but one of our biggest states here is right here in North Dakota. That's why we're headquartered here. Um, on the generation side, we uh, are pretty diverse. The all-of-the-above energy uh, policy we discussed is what we hold. We have 45% of our generation in coal, um, and then we've got 27 in gas and uh, 25 in uh, wind or renewable resources. So as we think about energy policy going forward, I guess um, one of the things that I would echo is the balance that was talked about earlier. We talked about cost benefit over here on the oil side of the business. You know, when I think about my job, um, certainly one of my components is making sure I'm providing an environmentally friendly resource to my customers, but balancing that also with cost, with safety, and with reliability. And um, when we think about what, what keeps uh, utility CEOs up at night uh, lately, it's probably how are we going to balance all of those four components, right? And what we just witnessed here in February certainly um, elevated the importance of having a reliable resource, um, and it certainly elevated the importance of having an affordable resource. So as we think about policy decisions going forward, that would be the one thing that I would leave you with, is we got to make sure that we are balancing all four of those components, um, you know, considering that we know we need to do our part on climate. I, I am certainly standing here saying we know we need to do our part, but we also have to balance that with cost with reliability and, and safety, and that's probably, in the interest of time, what I would leave you with. So thank you. Thank, thank you for you the that. opportunity. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And I just, I, I think it's important to bring up, because we've talked about waters of the U.S., I, I mean, under the most draconian reading of it, 86% of our producers are going to be federally regulated, but there's a second part to that, because North Dakota also has two other really cool things. One, we're the geographic center of North, North America, <laughs> and two, we produce a lot of things we don't consume here. And so last week you announced that you're going to reopen Section 401. And I am all for states' rights. I'm a small-R Republican. But we have to get our products to market. And so if we're, if we're talking about WOTUS on one side saying the federal government's going to regulate anywhere that has a dry creek bed, and also at the same time 
the state of New York can stop us from getting our products to market or the state of Washington they can stop our products from getting to market through pipeline infrastructure, rail infrastructure. We've had our, we've had our challenges with the state of Washington in the past. So I just want to bring up that those two things don't exist in a vacuum. And that's where we really start feeling political frustration or producer fr frustration when we're a producing state that needs to get our products to market. So. I would agree with that, and I think that sometimes that term cooperative federalism just rolls off the tongue as if it's an easy thing, right? And I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to have a consistent, transparent approach to the proper relationship the federal government has with the states. I think there's, a, there's, a, there's an observation here. The reality is the states know your communities better than the federal government ever could, right? We, we recognize that. and so. I think the approach I'm trying to bring to this is first and foremost that we look at a consistent approach with what our relationship is, that we're very transparent about it, and we have some uniformity that is, that is technology market sensitive, uh, but is driven by consistent data and sound science. I think that if we start to develop some principles around sort of what our relationship should be, then we can dig in and we can really take a look at whether or not we have the right temperature on waters of the U.S. or 401 or methane regulations and the like. And I think that's why you're seeing this administration do so many listening sessions, whether it's on methane or waters of the U.S. I committed to Senator Kramer, just I committed to, um, you know, the sen both senators in West Virginia. We're, we're not going to not visit the communities where these conversations are the toughest. Um, I, I, we're not going to bury our heads in the sand. At the same time, I'm, I'm not coming to any of these states recognizing that I'm going to leave and we're going to have all problems solved. The, the goal really is what, what are our goals? How do we have shared values? And what does that look like from a, from a regulatory and uh, you know, a, a state's rights standpoint? And I think that's what we're trying to solve. And just from our perspective as a producing state, we just hope that there's consistency in messaging across different regulatory frameworks. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Consistency of policy. Well, and, and on that point, I mean, I think we were talking about this earlier, the Attorney General and I, on waters of the U.S. The, the, when, you, when you look at both the, the Obama rule and the Trump rule, and you look at the implications on states like North Carolina, New Mexico, and North Dakota, they're all over the map. I mean, you know, it's cherry picking which do you like best. The question is what works best for the, for the country. I think when we think about uh, oil and gas, methane regulation, I look at states like New Mexico and Governor Lujan Grisham, what they're doing at the state level is a model for what we could look at at the federal level. So there's lots of learnings here that I think we need to do a better job of listening and partnering uh, and thinking about how we send that consistent message. And, and I think that's what the president has requested that I do, and I'm going to try to do that to the best of my ability. Yeah, for, and for sure with the states that have a methane rule, I mean, <laughs> to the degree it's as strict or stricter than the federal rule, it makes zero sense to have two regulators. Um, Don Dabbert with North Coast Association of Builders, uh, from a builder's perspective. We'll, en we'll end with that and then whatever closing comments before uh, we move on to the, the next. Thanks, Don. <laughs> Go for it, Go Don. Last. Well, thank you. Good morning. Uh, I appreciate uh, your time and very grateful to, to be able to, to be here today and uh, talk about this. As uh, Senator Kramer mentioned, uh, Don Dabbert, I'm a builder developer from Fargo. Uh, the Red River Valley, which is very different terrain from uh, this panoramic view we have here, and kind of jealous. 
but it, it just is a, another example of what we've been talking about today that with WOTUS or the regulation that a one-size-fits-all just doesn't, doesn't work necessarily for everywhere, even within North Dakota, that the undulation of this terrain here and how we have to deal with stormwater and permitting and certainly with WOTUS, how it has a major impact on us. Um, believe it or not, 28% of the cost of today's home not to mention all the other things that are going in, but 28% is for regulation. And with trying to build safe, sound, affordable, attainable housing for workforce housing and, and, and provide provide this, as I mentioned earlier, we have now more in-migration and people wanting to stay here. And one of the things that we work closely with the Chamber of Commerce is what we can do to provide any housing because there's businesses that do want to come here. There's businesses that want to grow and flourish and families that want to be here. And for that household formation, we have a number of people that are, are more or less having to stay in a rental position because of the, the affordability to be able to get into that. So when we look at land and try to be good stewards of those lands that have maybe once been a cornfield or a bean field or anything else, we want to kind of keep that heritage to make sure that we build good sound communities and neighborhoods for families to be there. And you know, we've ran into a number of issues between with some of the new water stuff and certainly on a national level. Uh, even more so around than what, what I've experienced, but it certainly comes back to what has been echoed er, earlier, earlier today about clarification, permitting, and, and, the, and the regulatory to go through all that. And that's, you know, not only does it cost time, money, ultimately it gets passed on to that end user, and it's, it's a bigger burden for many, many families that, uh, you know, the, the home ownership dream and to be able to attain uh, good, sound, affordable housing is becoming harder and harder, especially with uh, everything else that's going on. So again, I appreciate you coming here. This is a, a great opportunity to, to have a conversation. We look forward to, as the National Association, partnering with, your, with you and your organization, uh, as we have in the past, uh, when EPA uh, did come out with some uh, stormwater management and things, uh, I was uh, on the front lines because we did receive one of those uh, friendly grams, uh, letters in the mail, we'll leave it at that. Uh, but again, it, it's nice that we can have a, a, a conversation and I would, I would certainly request on behalf of myself, but certainly our industry that, yeah, we can have a more of a, an open dialogue because it, it ought not be intimidating or, or scary when uh, to reach out and ask, as I was mentioned earlier, for any of the producers that we can have a, you know, a clarification without fear of, alerting you or anything else because I, I firmly believe that all of us want to be good stewards of the land, the environment, and do what's best for our customers and, and our communities. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Don. You know, you, you just closed there with an issue that I, I'm, I often think about Senator Hovind when I think about this because he used to say this a lot, and he, particularly when he was governor. It's not just the regulations that matter, but the regulator as well, right? How, how an enforcement is, is you know, done how engagement is done, whether it's, you know, it can be confrontational or it can be friendly. When I was a regulator, one of the things I used to tell my enforcement people all the time is remember, our goal is to help people to comply, not to find them. Now, if, if you need to find them to get them to comply, that's, you know, that's the last thing you do. But it's not the first thing you do. The first thing you do is try to have a relationship because the one thing you never want to do is create an incentive where people won't self-report. If you're going to do, if otherwise you have to put a highway patrolman on every single car on the freeway, right? And we don't want to, we don't want to do that. That certainly wouldn't be good for, for the economy or the environment. All right. With that, thank you all. Any quick closing comments, Senator, Lieutenant Governor, Governor, Congressman? Uh, quickly, um, 
100% right. It's the regulations, and you want to empower investment, but it's the regulator that also empowers that investment. One of the best appointments I ever made was a PSC commissioner, and he's sitting next to you, because he really gets that. And look how he's working with you. And it sounds like you get it, too. So we appreciate that, and thanks so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you, I'm going to give a shout out to some reasonable regulators that are here. Yeah, Dave, Glott. <laughs> Dave Glott is the face of, of primacy of yeah. your own regulations from the EPA. So, Dave, thanks for being here. I'm sure Michael will get to know Dave if you don't know him already as a former peer. And John Piskowski, our state engineer, is here. We've got the water team here as well, rural water, water users. And so I'm sure they're all very glad to take part of the conversation. But, um, but Commissioner Goring and, and Governor Burgum also sit on the Water Commission, so very well represented. But thank you for being here, Michael. It's been a great, great morning. Uh, we'll do a great tour of a brownfield cleanup site later on. And thank you all for your participation in the, with the GNTs this morning on carbon capture. We're showing we are leading in carbon capture, hydrogen, all these, all these new technologies that people are excited about, we're leading as a state. So thank you for coming to see it. Thank you. Kelly, anything more? Governor. But I was just going to say when we uh, do that definition of infrastructure, we need to include uh, hydrogen pipelines in there as well because uh, hydrogen is going to be a really important transportation fuel, and I think it's going to be easier to get hydrogen pipelines built than uh, 5x the transmission lines we have now. I mean, we're not, we're not going to – the trillions it would take to build transmission lines to have every car in the U.S. electrified, and then the weight ratio of a – like Kelly was saying, you, get, you want to get an electric pickup, the battery weighs 800 pounds. You can carry 800 pounds less in your pickup because you've got an 800-pound heavier battery. And so uh, it's not going to work for semi. It's not going to work for freight. won't work for the distances. won't work in the cold weather up here on battery life. And so there's, uh, batteries aren't operating under Moore's Law. They're, they're incrementally getting a little better every year. But uh, it's a faster path for us with uh, decarbonizing. Uh, our energy sources, hydrogen is one of those, and we're going to need infrastructure to move hydrogen around, and that'll be, uh, <clears throat> we've got uh, Japan and Korea are building that out, and uh, there's examples of other countries that are ahead of us, and we got to get going. Very well said. Yes. Thank you. Again, Administrator, thank you all for being here. Um, I, I, one more special thank you to Bismarck State College, to President Jensen. Whoever's here from BSC, please tell them how much we appreciate this room and and his accommodating us and uh, your hospitality and congratulations again on being North Dakota's Polytechnical Institution. I think it's a great <laughs> move. All right. Thank you. Thank you everyone. Exclusive interview industry news, environmental innovation at thecrudelife.com. heard on the crude life morning show play hard work hard is by the moody river band interested in becoming a sponsor 
Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life, play hard, work hard, is sponsored in part by Great American Mining monetizes wasted, stranded, and undervalued gas throughout the oil and gas industry by using it as a power generation source for Bitcoin mining. Great American Mining Company brings the market and their expertise to the molecule. Their solutions make producers more efficient and profitable while helping reduce flaring and venting throughout the oil and gas value chain. And if you're a mineral owner, check out how much Bitcoin you could be making right now with your valued gas. Go to GAM.AI. That's Great American Mining, GAM.AI. The Crude Life with host Jason Speece. My name is Jason Speece, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Lynn Helms, the director for the North Dakota Mineral Resources. And today's interview is conducted by Crude Life content correspondent Jenica Hauser. And then finally, we have funded a research project that's now in field trials. Uh, a local North Dakota company has come up with a uh, biologically produced, through a fermentation process, nanosurfactant that we can treat the wells with that looks like it's going to allow us to recover a lot more oil. So, wow. no, we're, we're, we're pushing all the buttons, not, not just CO2. So with, with the nanotechnology, just, so it's kind of like a timed release then is what you're saying. You send the nano bots or whatever down hole and then when they are in place they release whatever the payload is i guess the yeah exactly the so the, the the pore spaces in the bakken are very 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 small they're less than 20 nanometers mm. in size so it, it, you you couldn't in in a lot of them you could barely get a human hair in there and so delivering something into there is is difficult and then having it do its thing so yeah these are intended to uh, be small enough to get into those little pore spaces and then much like the gel cap around your medicine to release it after it's in there not in the well bore but after it has actually gotten into these small nanopores. To listen to the full-length interview with Lynn Helms, director for the North Dakota Mineral Resources, or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life promotes a culture of inclusion and respect through interviews, content creation, live events, partnerships that educate, enrich, and empower people to create a positive social environment for all, regardless of age, race, religion, sexual orientation, physical, or intellectual ability. Every Everyday energy for everyday people. For more, visit thecrudelife.com. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spees asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? 
lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out the industrial forest.com. That's the industrial forest.com. I was in Tioga yesterday. I saw a new billion dollar gas plant commissioned. So the Tioga gas plant is up and running. Here we go. I think it's huge. Governor Downrimple says it best, that value-added agriculture is a big part of the North Dakota's past, and it's a big part of today, and it'll be a big part of tomorrow. The petrochemical industry itself is forecast to uh, add about $30 billion of capacity expansion here in the U.S. to get access to that natural gas and convert it into plastics. So it's a big deal here. This whole natural gas shell play has changed the country's view of natural gas as a sustainable, uh, reliable energy source and really changed the entire dynamic of uh, the United States. Well, natural gas is really the, the game changer in terms of its impact on the electric industry. Just in this past year, uh, we financed over $500 million uh, into North Dakota projects, uh, about 60% of that uh, into the 19 oil and gas producing counties. What's happening with natural gas is exciting, and I think it's a wonderful opportunity for growth. Cost of the gas out just right out of our line that feeds our shop equates to about 70 cents a gallon equivalent. So that's really, you know, as a small company, you know, trying to grow, that's how we're funding the vehicle conversions, the, the fueling station, etc. We're fueling that with our funding that with our fuel savings. Tremendous results from companies like Swift Trucking and Central Freight Lines, major companies like Frito-Lay and Dark Transportation, who have made major commitments to convert a large number of vehicles who are buying the engines currently available in a 12-liter engine. And uh, we're seeing the trucking industry really take hold of this, and it's uh, saving them money. producing over a billion cubic feet of natural gas a day, and it is the richest natural gas on the planet. It contains more ethane and propane than, than any other gas uh, that people are processing. So we've reached that critical mass now. important, if not more important, is the fact that we now have an abundant, lower-cost natural gas supply thanks to horizontal drilling and hydraulic fracturing, which has produced a gas resource that um, we wouldn't have imagined uh, a generation ago.
We're hearing about BNSF saying they want to do a, a major conversion plant to convert their train engines to, to liquefied natural gas in North Dakota. It's not only about jobs growing the economy and good for the environment, right, capturing that gas. It's a national security issue for us, but also working with our allies in Europe to counteract what Putin's doing. So this shows the global reach of North Dakota. Exclusive interview industry news, environmental innovation at thecrudelife.com.